Okay, Jasmine, I don't know why I let you lead. Um, we are even more lost than you were before. I'm sorry, I'm navigationally impaired. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say so. Um, <laughs> I would say so. How did we end up on a mountain? I didn't even realize we were going uphill. I'm kind of missing the mountains, you know, fall and all. I kind of miss the hikes from summer. <laughs> you know, it might make it easier to get to the actual mountains. What? Finding our teleportation pad and getting out of the interview dimension so we can go back to the <laughs> lovely city of Calgary, <laughs> nestled in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. But I guess for now we're on this mountain. Whoa, whoa, whoa look out! <laughs> There's a little falling debris. A boulder just fell down. There's some rocks sliding down. That c- There's some commotion happening up on the trail ahead of us. What's that coming around the corner? What's that noise? I hear pedaling. I hear chains and and wheels. Oh my gosh. Could it be? Could it be city council candidate for Ward 7, Heather McRae? I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Have you come to save us from the interview dimension? (laughs) I don't know. I am directionally impaired as well, Jasmine, so I will be no help at all, I can assure you. Well, I can see you mountain biked right up to us, uh, so at least you know the direction of down. Um, Maybe you can point us in that direction after this this interview, which we are, if you're in the interview dimension, we simply must interview. Let's do it. Wonderful. Well, we are, uh, we are perpetually followed by the ethereal form of the listeners, um, which could be students, but also, I don't know, we'll determine the mythology later. Maybe it's the spirit, the guardian spirits of the podcast. Um, the listeners, uh, for their benefit, would you like to just give us a little brief little rundown of who you are, what you're running for, what do you stand for? Oh, Yeah, for sure. So thank you so much for uh, bumping into me today. I really appreciate that we're getting to have this exchange. My name is Heather McRae. I'm a councillor candidate in Ward 7. I was the first candidate that announced last October, um, and I have had the most amazing year uh, talking to residents and stakeholders in the ward and in our city. I have a background in communications and public relations. I have a rich Um, a rich history of working with a lot of organizations in our city, including SAIT, I must say, University of Calgary, Alberta Children's Hospital. I've done some work with the Mental Health Commission of Canada. Um, I've really been privileged with the quality of organizations I've had the opportunity to work with. And uh, I'm really stoked about the opportunity to work for Ward 7 residents and Calgarians to build a better city. We have a lot of work ahead of us, uh, but we also have a lot of opportunity. Wonderful. Thanks, Heather. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, we've talked with a lot of candidates now. Um, I think you're the penultimate interview for us. Um, the theme that has come up just the most is the fact that we are at a pivoting point. We're at this threshold into something new, uh, for better or worse. 11 out of 15 chairs, I'll, I'll say again for the benefits of our listeners, in city halls, council chambers are going to be filled with different butts than previously exciting (laughs) uh precisely that is the that's why we bring you along so optimistic um (laughs) exciting is exactly the word for it you know what it's a great opportunity actually and we have to view it as such because for the last four years and i would argue the last eight years we've had an ideologically divided council chamber that has not had the robust kinds of conversations that we need to have about important issues that are impacting our city So I announced around being a bridge builder for Calgary, I want to be able to look people in the eye across the table and have serious conversations about serious issues and not get distracted by social media or pandering to just getting the best soundbite. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what Calgarians are 
are looking for is however we come out of this election, we just need a functioning <laughs> council um, at, yes, the very, at the very least, whatever that council is, is moving toward, uh, it damn well better be informed by the people. Um, but it doesn't matter how informed by the people you are if, if nothing gets done. Um, let's just jump right into a few questions about, about students and their, their roles in the city. Uh, Calgary's had its ups, we've had its downs. Uh, as e economic revitalization comes the front of everyone's platform, of everyone's mind during this election, what role do students have to play in our economic revitalization? What role does council have? What actions can council take? How can we behave as a city to incentivize and empower students to participate in that revitalization? Well, this is a super timely conversation because we've just had numbers released that tell us that we are, we are definitely losing youth from our city. In fact, we have fallen behind Manitoba for the very first time. Uh, we no longer have the youngest population in, the ca in Canada, which is something that we held on to proudly for a very long time. So uh, we, we are at a, at a pivot point for our city. I think that we have, it has taken youth to bring uh, climate issues to the forefront. It has taken youth to bring equity issues to the forefront. It has taken youth to flag the need for affordable housing and get us to take it seriously. Youth are driving change in our province and we can ill afford to have the youth leaving our province. So we need to dig in and we need to ensure that we're building a Calgary that will appeal to youth. It's a, it's a Calgary that has great education opportunities. It's a Calgary that has great work opportunities. It embraces diversity it is an exciting place with lots of arts happening in the community it is somewhere that that youth want to stay and make a home and raise a family eventually and I'm really worried that the trend line right now is not going to get us there that's a I'm, I'm glad you brought up um, making sure that that students stay um, we work closely with an advocacy organization known as the Alberta Students Executive Council of which I am the chair and our research last year showed that 28% um, of students relocate after graduation, um, either from their city, so moving from Calgary elsewhere, or you know from elsewhere to Calgary, to be fair. Uh, but 14% straight up leave the province, um, just are disappearing. And 14% isn't the majority, but that is a startlingly high number. Um, when it comes to graduate retention, when it comes to even attracting new talent. Many candidates or, or others that I've spoken to in the community have said, well, Calgary is a great city to move back to. Some candidates have, have even said uh, and made the argument that we want our young people to move away and then come back as long as they come back. So mm -hmm. even if we're framing it in that, that state, I think we still need to make sure there is a city that they want to move back to or if they don't, or maybe they like it so much they don't want to move away in the first place. Um, how can we ensure that our graduates want to stay uh, do you have specific policies or initiatives that you would seek to enact, uh, whether it's arts and culture, whether it's accessibility or affordability of the city, that you would like to see uh, young people, but also just students at, all, uh, at large, um, I think we conflate the two quite a bit, but that you, you would see uh, students be retained, especially as Vancouver and Toronto are just openly waging a war for talent. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I would certainly argue as well that it's a healthy thing for young people to go away and mm -hmm. experience other cultures, experience other parts of the world, because you are bringing that back. We want you to bring it back to Calgary because it's informing your expectations for our city as well. So if you look at the, the boom in bike culture, I think a lot of that is being influenced by what we see in, happens in European countries. Matt, can you imagine, so in Germany, there's an explosion of electric bike use right now. Can you imagine, and part of that is being driven by companies in Germany actually buying electric bikes and allowing their employees to pay them off on a monthly installment plan. And then at the end of three years, they just have a small amount that they can just buy the bike out at a re reduced rate. Can you imagine if the oil and gas industry did that here in Calgary as a methodology of, of getting people more excited about being in Calgary? Like the opportunities are there for us. So oh, there's, there's a tremendous number of things that we have to start with. The revitalization of our downtown is a really critical component of it. Downtowns should be exciting, thriving places for people to be, and ours just is not. And we have struggled with this for decades. This is not a new problem, but it's been exacerbated by what's happened in our economy. So this, the, the reinvestment in downtown is critically important. I love the idea of more student campuses downtown. What if we could bring more universities more colleges into our downtown core and then you know what you set up a shared student residence I can think of no better way to create a lively downtown core than having students living in that downtown core we have excellent transit service in the downtown so we would already be providing them with a methodology to get back to their to their respective campuses MRU being the exception <laughs> obviously doesn't we don't have train service up there but I think that that's a tremendous, a tremendous opportunity for us. And when we're, as we're building a more thriving, engaged downtown, the arts community is going to have to be a part of that transition. And if you talk to local artists, they will tell you that we do not do enough to support local art in our city. And some of that starts with just having uh, these microsites that artists can access for performance spaces. Because not every artist can fill the Jack Singer Concert Hall mm -hmm. or they're they're building another big um another big theater space as part of the arts common uh, expansion but what's missing is microsites and microsites in downtown could also help for entrepreneurs to test new ideas so you could have uh, small sites 500 to a thousand square feet low cost low um, a short rental period six to 12 months, let's say, Entrep entrepreneurs could come in, test an idea. If it takes off, then, then at that point, they can move on to a more permanent space. But those microsites would be a nice little change hub in the downtown as well, keeping it fresh, keeping always something new going on. So I think that's another exciting opportunity. And I, thought, I think that lots of young people Calgary's an entrepreneurial city, so I think that the opportunity to be successful as, as an entrepreneur is something that we need to certainly um, encourage and help along. Transit. Green Line, great. So happy that the Green Line is finally a go, and we have got to be committed to ensuring that the Green Line makes its way up north and that we're servicing north, the northern part of our city. But I want to talk about bus. 
bus service because there's a lot of communities mine included where I live where it's too far for me to get to the train and if I do not have or if the residents around me do not have frequent convenient bus service we are not going to get Calgarians out of their vehicles and get those greenhouse gas emissions reduced and and have a thriving city environmentally as well so it's hard to talk about I, I find I feel like I you, I'm starting to touch on a whole bunch of things, but everything is intertwined. So mm -hmm. we can't talk about anything without relating it to, to so many other tentacles uh, of what's happening in our community. Yeah, I think whatever council does in the coming years, uh, a holistic view of how one decision or one policy is gonna interact with the other to create a, uh, a thriving city is gonna be key. Um, and making sure that our candidates and making sure that our, our sitting councillors come a few weeks um, fully understand just the impact that you know changing the frequency of bus service or changing our route here might affect traffic to a business core here um, and the effect that that can have on a community i'm glad you brought up transit um, i'd like to toss to jasmine to ask a little bit about uh, transportation in our communities and then I want to jump back to a kind of a student focused Ward 7 uh, topic as well. Sure. Um, so the lack of accessible and available transportation is a major challenge as you mentioned. Uh, limiting individuals from fully participating in all aspects of community life again as you mentioned. <laughs> um, what actions will you be taking to improve the availability of public transit? Uh, availability of accessible public transit sorry yeah and that accessibility <laughs> part is really important yeah. too right whether it's accessibility mobility wise or accessibility financially um, it's part of my platform mm -hmm. and you can find that when you go to my website uh, heatherforward7.ca <laughs> nice um, plug yeah <laughs> <laughs> we love it <laughs> Uh, I will be an advocate for greater greater frequency and convenience of transit service. So when we look at, so Calgary had passed a cl its climate resiliency plan in 2018. And we know that we are not on target right now to meet the climate emission goals that we have in that plan. And a big part of that is getting more Calgarians out of their vehicles. One third of greenhouse gas emissions come from vehicles. So if we are not providing convenient, reliable, frequent transit service, we are not gonna motivate people to get out of their cars. And we cannot ask people to get out of their cars and then provide the transit service. Mm -hmm. Like the transit service has to come first. Mm -hmm. Like we have to get serious about that. Um, and I think that we've been del delusional thinking that we can um, institute all of these traffic calming measures that we're trying to put into the city and not address the transit deficit that we have so for me that's a really important goal yeah yeah, yeah I think that's a that ties back into um, design influencing behavior um, I, I'm gonna stick to that question for a little bit because I I, I I like what we talked about I like you talking about increasing accessibility of transit I I think the intention behind that 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 question that probably we could have worded it better is specifically for those who have accessibility issues, mm -hmm. specifically mobility issues. Mm -hmm. We have things like Access Calgary, but it's 24 hours in advance. It can take some time to live in remote communities. Uh, I've spoke to candidates who um, have spoken about the issue of sprawl, and this is, comes into the holistic view of policymaking. The fact that if you live way in the south and you have mobility issues, it's going to make transit servicing you way harder. Um, 
what can you speak to for for access to transit for maybe not the normative population yeah well my mom is 90 years old and she has a walker and she is somebody who would have until the last year and a half due to covid would have been relying on um access transit to get around the city Uh, and we have an aging population so this is going to be increasingly an important issue there is an interesting test pilot project going on uh, in one of the suburbs where with an on-call transit and I have not heard how that's being received or how it's functioning but it is um, I think it's a really interesting concept for addressing areas that have a lower a lower transit a lower population so it can't sustain a regular transit use but then that takes us into a deep dive around urban sprawl so mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh so we're going to stick on transit though because that's what you've asked me um yeah you know what i i i am not an expert at transit i'm not an expert on what sort of um transit access opportunities there are for us. I think that that definitely is something that our city needs to be exploring. I mean, we're going to be replacing our fleet, I hope, with electric vehicles or hydrogen-powered fleets uh, at some point. And so we need to ensure that accessibility, and not just our city's accessibility standards are not universal accessibility standards. So I think that we have to be very careful that we are trying to reach universal accessibility standards, which are higher. Um, Even our own public library, which was built to accessible standards, and people can't see me doing my air quotes around the (laughs) microphone, Um, but the accessible standards in the library are deficient. And they've got some problems in in our brand spanking new facility because it is not as accessible as it should be. So I really am going to have to rely on the experts in the field to make recommendations, and we're going to have to be committed to making the investment that that gives us a more equitable access in in the world of transit. Mm-hmm. Well, as a technocrat, I'm always fine for having <laughs> I'm always happy to go <laughs> to the experts. Um, let's uh, let's pivot here. I'm glad you brought up sprawl and densification. It's I think. It's top of mind. It's another top of mind issue in this election, um, especially in inner, in inner city wards like Ward Seven. It ties in to so many other issues, including transit and transportation. Um, the I want to pivot away from transport. I, I, we have a lot of students who come in through transit. The, uh, the majority of our students arrive via transit, whether it's the start of their journey um, that all goes all the way through, or if it's just the end half, maybe they go to a park and ride. Um, but it is a massive proportion of our, our student population. Part of the reason that we have that is because we have students all across the ward. Now, maybe they're from Calgary. Maybe they grew up in Fish Creek. They're staying with their parents. That's just the way it is. But for plenty of them, they have come here, and they just cannot afford to live in the area. We have two major campuses in Ward 7, UFC, SAIT. And when students take a look around, they are surrounded by single-family homes. Um, and in some cases, like places with um, restrictive covenants, where secondary s- suite creation is an absolute nightmare, it can become even harder to even find the compromise between that kind of development style and making space for students to, to rent out space in those areas. How can we navigate the development of these areas, or at least the very, very concept of increasing housing stock? I'd point to developments like uh, the big towers that just went up near Hotel Alley, near the Banff Trail Station, filled up quite rapidly. The second that students had the ability to live 
near campuses in kind of higher density uh, residences, we saw this uh, exodus from the out from the outside of the city, much closer to where they live, work, and play. Well, I mean, transit-oriented development is definitely have, has to be a key that we uh, tap into. Uh, and we haven't had good examples of transit-oriented development in Calgary, if I'm, if I'm dare, dare to be so bold as to say that. We have created islands, transit islands, in the middle of busy roads where you cannot have those opportunities to add um, a lot of affordable housing. And, and that standard needs to change significantly. That said, there are opportunities. There's opportunities around Lions Park. There's opportunities in Banff Trail. I'm, I'm not going to pretend to understand why people don't think that more people is a, in their communities is a good thing. Um, I, I, I listen to people talk about it, and I always, always try to find some common ground, a place for us to connect, and that is a really puzzling a dilemma that we have. I don't think that our city has done a good job talking about the benefits of diversification and density. I don't think that our city has been a showcase for density and diversification because of the urban sprawl that we've embraced. We have lost, we have, we have no balance right now in the city. 10 years ago, we needed to be saying no to urban sprawl and putting pressure on inner city redevelopment. Because when you go up Center Street, when you go up 4th Street, when you go up 14th Street, they are dismal corridors that are devoid of, of people living there and that should never have been allowed to develop that way so we have a lot of repair work to do and my, my concern right now is that we're still seeing our population grow but it's not growing at the, in the same numbers that it did we have a mythology in Calgary that everybody can live in a single family home with a yard and we need to start selling people that there is a different better way to live and we have not been doing that and I think that council I think that the city tried to do that with the development of the guidebook for great communities. I think, unfortunately, that the methodology that they used to sell that message was misguided and that people felt disconnected from the story that they were trying to tell. It didn't, it didn't speak to their own realities and the benefits for them of having that densification, having those thriving businesses in their communities. I can tell you, it informs where I look to live. Uh, do I have, if I am within walking distance of businesses that I can support, of coffee shops that I can go to, a dry cleaner, restaurants. I don't think we've done a good job helping Calgarians understand the benefits of that. And, I, and as a communicator, I think that having great communication, proactive communication, clarity in communication is really critically important. And it's one of the things I would love to influence as a sitting councillor. Wonderful. Uh, I think... I want to talk about the guidebook. Um, actually, you know what? Let's talk about the guidebook. Yeah, let's do um, it. <laughs> uh, and then I'll, I'll dig a little deeper into a couple of, uh, of things there. Uh, it's been talked about in circles. It's been talked about at council all day long. Um, and now that it is through as a uh, you know, non-binding, but a guidebook yep. all the same, uh, what are your thoughts? I know you talked a little bit about the way we were messaging it, we were selling it. Um, how do you see its role going forward? I've talked a little bit about municipal development plans and local area plans uh, with other candidates, how that works. 
Um, what do you see its role moving forward? As? Yeah, I mean, the guidebook has to be looked at in context of the municipal development plan, which was approved in 2008. It, it and it. It is now, you're right, it's a non-binding document, but it's a toolkit. And it's a toolkit that administration can use to help guide the planning process. So our our, our planning uh, bylaws, were, our development bylaws were so outdated that, they, that it was imperative that they be upgraded. So now the thing that we have to look to is the local area redevelopment plan. We've only seen one of those happen, and that's the North Hill area redevelopment plan. And, um, I think it's a good plan. I'll be honest. I think it's a good plan. I heard lots of good stuff about it. I think that the dissenting voices that came out uh, at the very end were disingenuous about not about stating that they didn't have an opportunity to be involved because it was a good plan, um, and it was approved by council. And we need to now embrace that plan, and we need to move on to the next plan. We do not have time to go back and tweak a plan that's already been approved by council. And any suggestion that we can do. But we can do that is disingenuous as well because we would need a supermajority of council that's 10 members on a council we're going to have nine new faces on it to say that we want to revisit a piece of policy that's already been approved that is not going to happen it only Should affects one neighborhood in one ward it, well it's actually affects a, it's a few or a few neighborhoods sorry, yeah, yeah in one ward that's not going to happen so let's have some learnings about communicating about area redevelopment plans and let's take those forward to the Riley Communities Plan which is going to be the next one that happens in our ward. That one it, it has been COVID de delayed. Uh, I'm hoping that it's going to launch in 2022 and I can promise you that as a sitting councillor I would not be sitting back as a bystander. I would want to be boots on the ground attending the sessions understanding how they're functioning so that I can defend them in real time uh, at council and let people know that it's been a good comprehensive process. So that that was that would be my intent about local area plans. So we cannot look at things in a you, out of context. Mm -hmm. There's always a larger context, and and the context is complex. Yeah, let's 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 talk a little more specifically because uh, as the Riley plan moves ahead, it'll be one of the first things that's kind of on your mm -hmm. that hits your desk. Um, with keeping in mind the idea of affordability and responsible densification, um, uh, keeping in mind that students are, of course, uh, you know, key stakeholders in the, these areas, um, wanting to take take up residence in, in kind of hip neighborhoods uh, like, like like the Riley area, um, and do it affordably. What needs to be in the Riley plan uh, and and plans like it in the future to allow for that kind of lifestyle? Uh, what do you What did you like about North Hill? that might carry over uh, any specific kind of asks or expectations there? Well, I mean, the, the thing that I like about the, the, the opportunity before us is that we have a chance to engage with, with residents and talk about where they feel it's appropriate to add densification in the community. And this idea that we're going to blanket densify any community, that you're going to be living in your single family home in the middle of a street and suddenly you're going to have a six-story apartment <laughs> pop up beside you is mythology. <laughs> it, that is not going to happen. So the opportunity is to work as a community and identify areas for densification. It's on main streets. It, on, it is on streets where we will have a concentration or should have a concentration of transit support so that people are relieved of the burden of having to purchase a vehicle. I'll tell you the number one thing I hear when I go door knocking that drives me crazy, parking. Parking. What are you upset about? Parking. 
I'm mad because the sixplex that just got built at the end of the street, it's not about the people, it's about the parking. I'm mad because I can't park my car in the street anymore. Well, you know what? We're building, we're adding density to communities and we're not supporting it with public transportation and so people have to own a car. So we have to look at the city and say, come on, it is time for us to, to fix the root of the problem. Don't keep exacerbating the problem. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we could solve the parking conundrum, that we would see people not so afraid of density. The other thing that's really missing for me, and when I go door knocking and I hear people raise concerns about um, adding density in communities, and you know what, they could be anti-density, they can be pro-density too, it's really interesting. I talk about biodiversity. We are losing biodiversity in our inner city due to redevelopment. And when I say to people, you know what, I bet you'd feel better about that sixplex that just got put in there if it had a nice row of trees around it and it was creating a nice streetscape. And they stop and they go, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I think you might be right about that. So I don't think that we're getting to the root cause of what people are upset about. I think that we're paying, we're, we're listening to what they're saying, but we actually are not listening to what they mean. So I think that if we can really dig in and get to the root of the problem, that we can make people feel better about adding density to our communities, about having more people in our communities, about having thriving businesses in our communities, and it will just make them better places to live. So for students, of course they want to live in, in really exciting areas. It's why Kensington is so popular, right? Mm-hmm. We have an opportunity to add density in all sorts of different ways throughout Ward 7. I can tell you, when I talk to residents in Capitol Hill, they are 90% in favor of adding density to their community. And they've been adding density, but you know what they haven't had support in? Traffic control and slowing, slowing traffic through their community takes us back to cars. So if we can be addressing the problem we have with cars, we can be addressing all sorts of issues that are attached to adding greater density in our city. I don't know. Did I answer that question? Because I feel like maybe I didn't answer your specific question. Uh, you, I know you pretty much did. Uh, it was in just all about scope. like what needs to be in these plans moving forward. Um, the other kind. I'm glad you brought up biodiversity. Um, I think that's going to tie into this this next question. Which um, at this point we're just. I'm, I'm like loving this conversation. <laughs> I want to go where it takes us. Um, the climate action plan that the city has. You said we're not hitting our marks. How do we do that? Well, we do that by doubling down on our commitments. So there's, I, I, I can speak, um, so there's a few things that we need to speak to. Getting people out of their cars is a, a huge priority. One third of greenhouse gases comes from vehicles, one third comes from residential homes, and one third comes from commercial. So we can sort of talk about it in three segments. The city, for its part, needs to be building to a net zero standard with all new building that we do. That needs to be our standard. It's a more expensive standard. It's the standard we need to commit to. We, the, the getting people out of their cars, I, I'm just gonna harp on transit. I just don't, I love bike paths. I'm an avid biker, but I'll tell you, my 90 year old mother is not gonna get on a bike and I, and I knock lots of seniors. And I have friends that didn't learn how to ride a bike as kids. And it is a remarkably hard skill to gain as an adult. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and I know people that have tried. Those so, core muscles. <laughs> right? Yeah. It, yeah, it's even a coordination issue. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I love bike infrastructure, but for me, transit has got to be the gold standard that we're building to in order to get people out of their vehicles. We actually talked about getting rid of a vehicle at the time that Car2Go was such a popular thing in the city. Oh, yeah. And when we lost Car2Go, we lost our ability to 
downsize our vehicles. Rest in, our in peace. I drove a Mercedes for a year. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was fun. That was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, the commercial standards, I'm going to tell you, is probably the one area that I have the most learning to do. Um, we know that redevelopment of old residential is also really good for the environment. It's a, it, That makes another case for redevelopment because older homes have more greenhouse gas emissions that come out of them um, and just the tighter envelopes of redevelopment mean that we're reducing greenhouse gases and there's a very active lobby in the city that would love um, to love to, to see more redevelopment because it's good for the environment mm-hmm. so there's you know every department at the city has things that they can do uh, whether it's transitioning to electric vehicles super excited about the conversations that are starting to happen around hydrogen because hydro that transition could actually be good for our economy it could be good for the environment so there's I'm told through door knocking and I'll tell you you get the best you get the best tips through door <laughs> knocking I'm told that there is actually a hydrogen bus um uh, test pilot that is going to happen and be announced pretty soon in Edmonton. Ooh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited. To, I'm excited to see that get announced. Could we have? Could Edmonton have not just like given Vancouver a call? How it was working. Yeah, that's really exciting. I think the modernization of the the transit of the city is is just one of the key and it's fine for us to stick on it um because it is so 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 key to how students get around the city um i do not own a car uh, almost like i'd say only half of my friends own cars and those are the people who grew up in calgary in the south uh or in the far northwest and they have to drive and they just had to drive yeah like you yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i want to move on to um a couple of other issues. Before I do, though, are you familiar with the U-Pass? I sure am. Okay, the Universal Transit Pass for yeah, students. Yeah, I've got a daughter with a U-Pass, and she makes good use of it. Perfect. Um, are you aware with the issues surrounding the U-Pass? Yeah, so I understand that there's not been much student engagement in how the U-Pass gets used and affordability and and how do we leverage that. I, I'll tell you what I don't understand. I don't understand why your U-Pass expires at the end of the school year. Yeah. Your students all year round, like you might have a summer job for this, right? To help you pay for school, but why you cannot be just paying for your U pass all year round at a subsidized rate just blows my mind. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. Yeah, uh, we have been, States has been making the argument, and, and now so have other student associations across the city, been making the argument to the city that there is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the U pass is supposed to be. Uh, it is not for students just to get to campus. It is for us to engage fully as citizens, participate in our communities, get to part-time jobs and contribute to the economy, um, to just really fully engage. Um, I believe that one of the reasons why, in, I think they can, you know, they can be for, the city can be forgiven for having this conception of what the U-Pass is for, because the only people they negotiate with are the institutions, the yeah. campuses that we are seemingly only supposed to use it to get to. Um, we are the only major city in Canada, after commissioning a report that searched all all the major cities in Canada, we are the only major city in Canada where this is the case, where the institutions negotiate the Universal Transit Pass on our behalf. Get out. I didn't know that. We are. Crazy, oh, right? wow. We are. That's uh, rather <laughs> embarrassing. It it certainly is. Why um, are we the exception? Uh, that's a very good question, Jasmine. <laughs> that's a very good question, Jasmine. It's a question that we asked Calgary Transit, and we haven't gotten a firm answer back yet. Um, they didn't know that they, we were the only uh, major city in Canada doing that. And 
not to rag on institutions, if institutions could reliably argue on our behalf with our best interests in mind, student associations wouldn't exist. Um, so we have always been seeking to get students in the room. Uh, as a candidate in Ward 7, housing U of C and SAIT, uh, both on major transit lines, can we get a commitment from you to try and get help in any way you can to get students in the room there. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be on board for that. And I don't want to forget about the art university, arts university. AU Arts. Yeah. AU I arts. do, too. <laughs> I'm going to get a call from Graham Boyd later today. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> They're there, too. There's a few of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know what? I 100% I will be an advocate for having students in the room. I love the idea of having, and I actually, uh, George Chahal did this too uh, when he was a sitting counselor having a youth advisory board to the counselor's office is something I'm really interested in we have a really youthful um, ward I think that we we're getting starting to see more young families move back move back into our ward and I would love to see that voice informing in a in a really meaningful way policy decisions that come out of ward seven and you know we're all, a single counselor is only one vote on council and it is incumbent that a counselor be a bridge builder and that we be committed to working with other counselors so if i can be a pivot point and help to educate other counselors on the importance of educating uh, people about youth initiatives or initiatives that make our city more attractive to youth i'm i'm all in certainly through um the, through the voice of your constituents yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> I mean, uh, I think we have such an interesting city. Um, I've moved here from the West Coast for our listeners' benefit. Um, if they've been long-time listeners, they will know because I never fail to mention it. Um, and I am absolutely in love with it. I think seeing how we move for move forward is going to be so fascinating. Uh, and this is such a huge pivot point. I want to touch, before we close up, I want to touch on a couple of things. Um, that are front of mind more as a society, um, especially amongst, I'm not going to lie, our demo, um, but things that we have to reckon with as a society as a whole. Um, we've talked about the climate action plan, and in the same idea of you know, really enacting change on the municipal level and watching it, uh, letting us be an example for the rest of our, our peers across the country, just want to touch on the idea of criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. Certainly something that we've heard a lot about from our students, um, from students across the province. Uh, how we go about treating um, the unhoused, uh, uh, you know, victims of mental health, he uh, mental health issues, or um, marijuana legalization. Well, it's legal now. <laughs> that yeah, one's but old. Those, but those. <laughs> Um, victims of mental <laughs> health uh, and addictions is what I was gonna say. Yeah. Um, what's your what's your idea of criminal justice reform in the city? How'd you like to see us move forward? Yeah, this is such a complex um, issue. You know, the the irony in all of this is that municipal politicians are the ones that are the most accessible to people, and yet we have the least amount of control over some of these 
some of these issues. So um, part and parcel of being a bridge builder on council, it is very important for us to be having, cultivating good relationships with our provincial and our federal partners because we really need them to come to the table to help us address the crisis that we're experiencing in Calgary right now. There is no doubt that social disorder is just off the charts in Calgary. Uh, we need mental health support. We need drug addiction support to come from our province. We need affordable housing support to come from our our federal government and we have got to find a way as a city to be leveraging every cent that we can from provincial and federal governments to help us address the issues that you're talking about. Adding more police is not is not the path forward. Adding resources in the form of social workers, in mental health professionals is the path. Drug addiction specialists is the path that we have to follow. Somebody told me something really interesting recently. You know, the whole housing first model, I don't know why we haven't been able to wrap our heads around actually fulfilling that. We've talked about it for years. It's not been from a lack of resources. It's been from a lack of political will. And so we have to get really serious about how about electing people who will stay committed to that cause. Um, but somebody said to me that you can't take people off the streets and house them and remove them from the community that they the only community that they've known because it's too easy for them to fall back into old habits because love it or loathe it we are all part of a community and for some of us the community is a really healthy place to be and for some of us the community is not a healthy place to be but it's a community nonetheless and so we can't just remove people from their community without providing them with all sorts of supports and help them cultivate a new community of 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 you know I, I don't want to be judgmental but of of healthier lifestyle habits um so that they can find a better path forward. So, yeah, you know, there was, a, there was an affordable, there was a housing project that was proposed for the community of Mount Pleasant. And I'm not trying to throw anybody in Mount Pleasant under the bus. It was an organization called Fresh Start that had been gifted a plot of land by a local developer. And it had not, the idea had not been properly introduced into the community. And so when the community heard about it, there was a big, there was a lot of outrage about it. They felt that they were being targeted for a facility that would see drug users there or people with addictions issues in their community and they felt exposed. And what made me angry about it was that had that been more thoughtfully introduced to the community, had they had a chance to understand who Fresh Start is, and I called the developer and I called Fresh Start because I think that that's what leadership looks like is that you actually collaborate with the stakeholders. I think that we could have persuaded the residents that that was actually a net benefit for the community and a net benefit for our city. And you know what they were upset about? One of the things they were upset about? Parking. Wow. I kid you not. Wow. Back to parking. <laughs> in a, in a car-based city, <laughs> parking is... Parking is king of the issue. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's, just, it's nuts. They were not building any on-site parking, and pe the residents wouldn't believe that, that the people that live there wouldn't need parking, and so they'd be parking on the streets. Yeah. It was tragic. Wow. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would love to, I think we could talk about this specific issue all day, um, but I do want to move on to our, our final question here uh, from Jasmine. 
Thank you for finally passing on the mic to me. Yeah, sorry, man. <laughs> so many of the questions you were supposed to ask got covered. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Jasmine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> You're like, green line's great. I was like, all right, it's another one not for Jasmine. <laughs> I just want to throw shade at Liam. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> on to the question. So uh, with, uh, let's talk about reconciliation. So, uh, uh, with reconciliation, many indigenous communities in the city struggle with barriers such as addictions and mental health struggles, like we talked about, you know, just a minute ago. Uh, what is your stance on giving back to these communities to ensure that they are not only being spoken for, but supported through various re- resources that the city can provide, so that they aren't left behind? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is obviously such an important issue, and made more so by the by the events that have unfolded this year. So um, I can tell you that I have had the opportunity or made the opportunity to read the White Goose Flying Report uh, and that um, I also have gone for a many chiefs tour and I highly recommend uh, to anybody that's interested in learning more about Indigenous culture. It is an Indigenous-led tour of some important areas in Calgary. I went to for a tour of St. Patrick's Island but I understand that the uh, the young mother that leads those tours also does one up on Nose Hill. And she talks about um, why the areas are significant to the indigenous to indigenous peoples and the role that they played in their lifestyles, uh, you know, many, many thousands of years ago. So it's a really interesting opportunity. Getting back to the White Goose Flying Report. Our city, our city's biggest commitment that we can make to Indigenous populations is to ensure that we are fulfilling our obligation to educate employees about Indigenous issues. And that is an item that is constantly getting cut. So when it comes time to review the budget, that's going to be one of the first things that this new council does in November of this year, is reviewing the budget. We have got to protect that budget item. It needs, hopefully, it will come, it will be returned into the budget by administration. Um, We just saw the city grant a holiday for National Indigenous Truth and Reconciliation Day. I'm sorry, I probably just didn't get that name right. um, And the city gave all of the employees a day off of work and sent them a package of voluntary material to read or Mm -hmm. material to read on a voluntary basis. So we need to make that investment in the workplace so that our employees at the city can become the gold standard for helping other Calgarians understand how how we can come to deal with truth and reconciliation in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope that that's, I hope that that answers your question. No, yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. Thank you for that. You made some great points there. Yeah, thanks for, um, thanks for coming in today into well, the interview dimension. Well, this has been so much fun. I'm glad that you walked across my mountain biking path. I, you know, there are great trails to be on. If anybody wants to go for a ride, just look me up. I'm always looking for another biking partner. <laughs> Let's do it. It's okay if I take your bike. I'm walk back. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jasmine, we're walking. Damn it. Ahead. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, we will let you go back to the doors uh, in these final days of the election. Best of luck to you on the trail. Before we let you ride on down the mi- mountain bike path uh, into the wild blue yonder, do you have any closing statements? 
Oh, you know what? This is a critically important election for our for our city, and I hope that people uh, will pay close attention to who the collaborative leaders are in each race, and I hope that you will vote to support people who believe in working with people on developing policy, on on being strategic, on um, on wanting to engage and enrich the conversation as much as possible because I think that collaboration and engagement are going to be critically important in defining our path forward for the next four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. This is great. Yeah, thanks for coming in, Heather. Yeah, this is great. And, uh, Best of luck, uh, best of luck on on the campaign trail and on these mountain bike trails. And as stay well. warm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's warm. a little chilly today. I <laughs> yeah. will concede that point. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. All right, Jasmine. Shall we? Just should we follow the mountain bike trail to the bottom of the mountain? Do you really the want teleporter me to lead the way? No. <laughs> um, when I say follow, I mean you should follow me to the bottom of the mountain because I do not think the teleporter pad was on the top of the mountain. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's Sounds go. Sounds like a plan. <laughs>